Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. We're going to read from verses 25 to 35, the end of the chapter. 21 to 35, I'm sorry. Start at 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take an account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosened him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he, would, till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him into the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother his trespasses. You can sit. In our last two sermons that I preached here, we focused on what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And you may recall in the last sermon, when we got to verse 12 of the Lord's Prayer, which says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I mentioned that it is the only portion of the prayer that has a footnote, which is found in verses 14 and 15. Some further comments on that subject. And because our time in the last sermon did not permit us to focus or to continue on into the footnote, I told you that we would come back to that phrase of the prayer as we forgive our debtors in the next sermon. So that is what we want to do here this morning. And uh, we'll be looking primarily based from uh, these verses in Matthew chapter 6, referring to some other passage as well. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verse 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These verses speak very clearly. They make it clear that forgiveness is something of vital importance in the mind of God. So important, in fact, that unless you consciously exercise forgiveness to those who offend you, you should not expect it from God. Do we comprehend the seriousness of that statement? Furthermore, not only is forgiveness something of vital importance to God in the mind of God, it is also of vital importance in the teachings of Jesus. And as you go through the New Testament, as you go through the Gospels, and read the teachings and the interactions that Jesus had with people, this subject and the example and the illustration of forgiveness appears repeatedly. It is laced throughout his teaching. So we're going to look at this subject of forgiveness this morning, and there's a number of things I want to notice about forgiveness. First of all, let's look at three aspects of forgiveness. First of all, there is a forgiveness which we receive from God. That forgiveness is the basis of our salvation. It's the, the work of redemption in our lives. And it is a wonderful subject. I think everyone here delights in the subject of the forgiveness that we receive from God. Because without forgiveness from God, 
we recognize that we would have no hope. Well, then there's another aspect of forgiveness. There's a forgiveness that we receive from our fellow man, from those around us. And this is also wonderful because we depend on that as well. We fail those around us. Sometimes it is unintentionally. Sometimes it may even be unknowingly. But sometimes it is simply because we just really don't care. And we don't care if we're failing others. So we depend on their forgiveness. Without the forgiveness of others, life would be difficult indeed. Imagine if no one would ever forgive you for anything you've done to them. Imagine how miserable life could be. So that aspect of forgiveness is wonderful. Then there's another aspect of forgiveness, and that is the forgiveness that I extend to others or that we need to extend to others. And that is the focus of our thoughts this morning. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that is a phrase that's the basis for the message this morning. Now, if the other two aspects of forgiveness are wonderful, being forgiven by God and being forgiven by man, this aspect of forgiving others can be downright daunting. We love to be forgiven. But when it comes to forgiving, it can be a different story. While we need the forgiveness of God and crave the forgiveness of others, extending forgiveness to others sometimes may be the last thing we want to do. Everything within us wants to nurse that grudge, wants to point a finger, wants to replay the offense, and wants to relive that pain, whether it's real or imagined, over and over in our minds. And as I indicated, God has a lot to say about this. And while the prospect of forgiving others is daunting, it is also wonderful because there is tremendous freedom to be found in forgiving others as well. So that is the aspect we want to focus on this morning. Let's look at the need of forgiving. I mentioned that Jesus mentioned forgiveness frequently or the idea of forgiveness, whether or not he actually mentioned the word, appears frequently uh, throughout the Gospels. And uh, this was uh, obviously uh, something that was very important to Jesus. In this passage, we see that Jesus taught it in his prayer. Matthew 6, verse 12, as we forgive our, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is clear from this verse that we are expected to forgive. And it's also clear, as I already indicated, that if we refuse to forgive, we really cannot expect to be forgiven from God. Now, the Lord's Prayer is also recorded in Luke chapter 11. And in that case, the disciples came to Jesus and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the phrasing, the, the wording that is used there by Luke says, and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So in Luke's version of the prayer, every time we pray this prayer, we are committing ourselves to forgive. Are we being honest? Are we doing what we say we are doing? You see, Jesus taught forgiveness in this prayer. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are committing to not hold bitterness, to not hold a grudge, or any ill will towards any of our fellow men. Jesus taught forgiving in his prayer. Jesus also taught forgiving in his parables. The passage that John read just a few minutes ago from Matthew 18. The unforgiving servant. This servant was forgiven much and failed to forgive little. Someone has said, and I may have made the statement here before, that he who fails to forgive burns the bridge over which he himself must cross. We, we need forgiveness. And yet if we fail to forgive, we are burning the very path over which, the very bridge over which we ourselves must cross. Anyone who carries a grudge against someone else has a real reason to fear the moment when he stands before God. And the concluding verses of this parable, 
Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was done unto him. And then there are the words, the point of this parable. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Those words are very clear. I don't know how they could be more clear. Until you have forgiven anyone who has offended you, you're not ready to stand before God. And if you hold, your, if you hold animosity in your heart towards anyone... The most important thing you can do at this moment is to forgive that person. It's more important even than listening to the rest of this sermon. It's more important than anything you can do. If there's animosity in your heart, it needs to be dealt with. Jesus taught the need for forgiving in his parables. And John read one of them. There's another parable. The parable of the 99, the sheep found in Luke chapter 15. Ninety and nine were safe in the fold, but there was one sheep that I believe we could say rebelled. He rebelled against the shepherd. He chose his own path. He wandered away. And that shepherd could have been angry with the sheep. He could have said, if you get eaten by a wolf, that's your problem. You ask for it. You deserve it. But no, that shepherd went out and sought and searched for that one lost sheep. And when he found him, what did he do? He brought him back into the fold. He was welcomed, gladly welcomed back into the fold. He was forgiven. That's an example of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. And then there's the, the next story right after that one, also in Luke 15. We call it the story of the prodigal son. It's also the story of a forgiving father. A very beautiful picture. As you just picture that father running out of the house to meet his son, wrapping his arms around him, gladly welcoming him back into the family. That son may have ruined the family's name. He squandered his father's wealth. He humiliated him. Do we see any grudge on the part of the father? You see, Jesus in his parables was teaching Forgiveness. He taught it in his prayer. He taught it in his parables. Jesus also taught it by principle. And by that, I mean he taught it by just simply straight out saying that we need to forgive. Or by straight out telling us things that we need to do that indicate, for, that indicate forgiveness. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have a number of things. Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker is a forgiving person, a person who does not hold a grudge, a person who does not continue the, the strife and the animosity. But through forgiveness, he brings peace. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verses 38 to 44, we looked at those at that passage a number of weeks or months ago. A number of phrases in there in which Jesus illustrates examples and practical ways of forgiveness. He's illustrating it or teaching it by these principles. What does he say? Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You see, an attitude of forgiveness is at the heart of all of these actions as Jesus is teaching forgiveness by principle. And then coming back to Matthew chapter 18, which we looked at a few minutes ago, Peter comes and asks Jesus a question. And I think Peter was maybe feeling pretty good about himself. You know, Peter was an outspoken person, and uh, sometimes he spoke rather impulsively. Uh, sometimes he uh, maybe put more thought into what he was saying. I think in this case, he thought that what he was saying was pretty good. Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Till seven times? 
Seven times. I think Peter thought that that would be going above and beyond what, was in, what would be expected. Jesus' response as he's teaching by principle. I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And the point here is, I believe what Jesus is saying, don't even bother with keeping score. It shouldn't be a matter of looking at your brother, your sister, your spouse, your coworker, and saying, well, you know what? You failed in this area five times, or you failed in this area ten times. I may have failed you five times, but you failed ten times, so you owe it to me. So what? Just keep on forgiving. That's what Jesus is saying. In Mark 11, 25, Jesus also teaches this by principle. He says, and when you stand praying, forgive if ye have ought against any. Now, this is not necessarily in the context of what we call the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus is saying, when you pray, when you come before God, when you stand before the presence of God or kneel before the presence of God, if you have a problem with someone, you need to forgive that person, whoever it is. I think what Jesus is saying, we cannot come to God in prayer in an unforgiving, in an unforgiving um, spirit and attitude and expect him to hear our prayers. We cannot expect to maintain open, unhindered fellowship with God if we're harboring, harboring that spirit of unforgiveness. David said in one of the Psalms, I think it was David, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, I think there's more than one way in which we can regard iniquity in our heart. If, if I continue holding iniquity in my life, I am regarding iniquity in my heart. But if I regard the iniquity that I feel you committed towards me, and I'm not willing to release that, and I'm hanging on to that, I am still regarding iniquity in my heart. Even though I may not be committing the sin, I am hanging on to the sin that you committed or that I feel that you committed, and I am regarding that in my heart. Jesus is saying that God will not receive my prayer for forgiveness as long as I fail to forgive. If you harbor a grudge against one of your brothers or sisters here in the church, you cannot claim to have an open and unhindered relationship with God. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with God, but you do not have an unhindered relationship with God. If you hold on to resentment against some way someone treated you, maybe it was your parents, maybe a family member, maybe, maybe it happened years ago, and if you continue to hang on to that resentment, you cannot have an unhindered relationship with God. There's something there blocking that off. If you feel that you have been overlooked or ignored or hurt or dishonored or degraded or slandered or lied about, and you aren't able to let that go and forgive the person who offended you, you cannot have that open, unhindered relationship with God that he wants to have with you. We're looking at the need for forgiveness. Jesus is saying, you need to forgive. He is teaching it here by principle. God desires that relationship with us, and we need to be willing to forgive. Well, Jesus also taught it by practice. We see a number of examples of forgiveness in his life. One of the classic examples is found in John 8, when the Jews who were out to trap Jesus brought this sinful woman to him, an adulteress. She had been caught in the act. They asked Jesus, what are we going to do with this woman? What were Jesus' words to her? Beautiful words. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus was willing to forgive her of that sin. He was not dwelling on the past. He was focusing on the future. He said, I am willing to forgive the past. I am willing to not condemn you for that. But in the future, go forward and forgive no more. On the cross, Jesus forgave. Those beautiful words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And also the words to the, to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, illustrating forgiveness. Jesus illustrated forgiveness after his resurrection as well. In his relationships with Peter, as that restoration took place, that interaction with Peter, Jesus taught it by practice. If Jesus needed to forgive, we also need to forgive. And furthermore, Jesus taught forgiveness with promise. Coming back to those words here in Matthew chapter 6. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is not saying that this is a way to earn salvation. That the moment you have forgiven the last person in your life, you're saved. You're forgiven by God. And the moment you hold a grudge against someone, you've lost your salvation. He's not teaching salvation by works here. But what he is saying is that God may withhold forgiveness from anyone who is not willing to forgive others. Forgiving someone else is simply an acknowledgement of my need to be forgiven by God. So Jesus taught that with promise. Well, let's move on to another aspect of forgiveness and look at the sin of not forgiving. Recently, I heard of a newspaper advertisement which struck me as quite strange. In this advertisement, a man was offering classes to teach tactics of revenge and how to be cruelly vindictive, in his words. He was encouraging people to carry their revenge to new heights. He says, the art of precision retaliation is sweet, blissful, and satisfying. And he was offering classes teaching people how to retaliate. And furthermore, he was offering to meet with you one-on-one -on -one for $75 to offer specifically tailored advice. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I need that. I feel it's easy enough to come up with a plan for revenge. It's not the plan for revenge that I need help with. I need help to forgive. And yet when we hear something like that, we tend to justify ourselves because we say, well, I don't carry my unforgiving spirit to such a degree where I seek to, you know, exact this precision retaliation like this man was advocating. But the sin, sin is not only committed in the act of revenge. Sin can also be committed in simply failing to forgive. An unforgiving spirit, someone said, is the number one killer of spiritual life. Some of you students may recognize the name of Victor Hugo. He was a French author who was well-known in his day. And in one of his writings, he wrote a story, he included a story uh, of a tale that took place at a ship at sea many years ago. And this ship was caught in a terrific storm. The waves were high, the wind was gusting, and this ship was rocking back and forth by the waves. When suddenly the crew of that ship heard an awesome crashing sound below the deck. And they knew what that sound was. Because down below the, below the top deck, that ship was carrying a heavy cannon. And that cannon had come loose from its moorings, and it was rolling back and forth with every row of that ship, hitting first one side of the ship, and then the other side of the ship. And those sailors knew that unless something is done, that cannon is going to destroy their ship. So there were a couple of brave soldiers at the risk of their lives, went down below, and they managed to fasten it again. Because they recognized that what was inside that ship was much more dangerous than what was outside the ship. The wind could blow, and the waves could roll, and that ship could rock back and forth with those waves and receive no damage at all. But one loose, heavy 
cannon on the inside of that ship, if not dealt with, would have wrecked that ship. And that's what a spirit of unforgiveness does in our lives. You see, it's not what happens on the outside that is going to wreck our lives. It's what happens on the inside and what we don't deal with on the inside. An unforgiving spirit, again, quoting this quote, is the number one killer of spiritual life. You see, often when we think of sinning, we think of things that we do. I do something that is a sin. But sin can just as well be something that I fail to do that I should do. For an example, uh, Samuel made the comment in 1 Samuel 12. He said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He was recognizing to not pray for his people is a sin. The same thing can be said for not forgiving. It is a sin that needs to be dealt with. Since God commands us to forgive, if we refuse to forgive, it's a sin. Failing to forgive someone, even when we don't actively try to seek revenge, is sin. We need to recognize that. We need to repent from that. It's probably hard to speak on the subject of forgiveness without thinking of the example of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And I think Joseph had insight into this fact that not forgiving is sin. We well know that account, how his brothers mistreated him, what all he endured because of that. We know how the brothers came to him in Egypt, having no idea who they were standing before, and how that eventually Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers and expressed the forgiveness coming out of his heart towards them. How he cried, how he embraced them. Eventually, the family moved to Egypt. Years later, Jacob, their father, died. And when he died, Joseph's brothers had this niggling fear in the back of their minds. Just what if Joseph was just waiting till our father died to carry out his revenge? What if he seeks to kill us now? What if? And so they went to Joseph. They came to him. And they said, before our father died, he had this request. And whether or not he actually said this, I don't think the scripture really indicates. But at any rate, this is what the brothers told Joseph, he said. Before he died, he left this request that you would forgive us for what we did to you. Joseph's response was very interesting to them. He said, am I in the place of God he says, fear not. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly with them. But that phrase, am I in the place of God, struck me. Because Joseph realized that as a fellow human, the choice to or the decision to not forgive or to judge his brothers was not up to him. That was something that was in the hands of God. And when I choose not to forgive my fellow man, I am assuming a role that is reserved for God. It is his prerogative whether a person is judged or how he is judged. And when we try to replace that with our own judgment, we are trying to put ourselves in the place of God. And taking these roles upon ourselves is trying to take the place of God. And that is idolatry. That is blasphemy. That is playing God. And that is serious. Joseph said, am I in the place of God? If you struggle forgiving someone, ask yourself the question Joseph asked. But am I in the place of God? Is it up to me whether this man is forgiven or not? The sin of not forgiving. Moving on to the next aspect of forgiveness. Let's look a bit at the act of forgiving. The act of forgiving. How do we actually forgive? Probably every one of us here have struggled with that at one time or another. First of all, 
Forgiving others does not depend on our feelings. Forgiving someone does not depend on whether or not I feel like forgiving that person. Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, how many of you feel like forgiving when you're in the middle of a quarrel? When you're in the middle of a quarrel, forgiving is the last thing that's on your mind. You want to make your point. You want to prove the other person wrong. This verse does not tell us to forgive if you feel like forgiving. It says, if you have a quarrel, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. How did Christ forgive you? He, gave, he forgave willingly. He forgave totally. And that is how we need to forgive. There, there are several illustrations in which people were put in a situation where they needed to forgive that I'm planning to share with you here this morning. And one of them I'll relate here now at this point of forgiving whether you feel like it or not. Many of you are familiar with Corrie ten Boom and her experiences. You've probably read some of her books. Probably many of you have read them more recently than I have. And you are aware of the sufferings that she experienced at the hands of the Nazis during the Holocaust. She was imprisoned in the Ravenbrook concentration camp where she watched her beloved sister die under those miserable conditions as well as many other people. And as a young woman in that horrid camp, she endured humiliation, ridicule, and mistreatment at the hands of the German soldiers, young men who would leer at her, mock her. She could barely even hope to escape alive. But eventually, the day came and she was released. Later, she learned that her release was a mistake and that one week after her release, all of the young women in that camp her age were killed, were executed. Throughout her difficult experience, her faith sometimes wavered, but it never really died entirely. And afterwards, she developed a speaking ministry all across the world in which she spoke of God's faithfulness to her during those horrible times. And... She spoke of the need to forgive because forgiveness is something that she dealt with and something that she had, at least to a point, worked through. At the end of one of her speaking engagements in Munich, Germany, she was standing in line meeting people after the service. And at one moment, she looked up and just a few people back the line, she saw a man that she recognized. And it was the face of the leering guard under which she had endured some of her greatest humiliation. And as she saw that man, her heart froze within her. And as he approached, he walked up to her and said somewhat flippantly, Yes, miss, it's wonderful that Jesus forgives, as you say. Corey's hand froze by her side, and for a moment she could not speak. But in her heart, she prayed, God, forgive me. I cannot forgive this man. And she begged for God's mercy. And at that moment, her hand was unfrozen, and the ice of hate melted, and there was reconciliation that took place with that man, at least forgiveness on the part of Corey. Corey recognized that forgiveness does not depend on feeling, on feeling like needing, or on feeling like forgiving. Forgiving and feeling are not the same. She was able to forgive, and she was the one who found freedom because of it. Forgiveness, or forgiving others, does not depend on feeling. Also, forgiving others does not depend 
on their repentant attitude. Corey had said she, she wasn't really convinced that this man was really repentant. He thought he was just saying this somewhat casually. Oh, yes, it's wonderful. God forgives. Our tendency is to think that if or when someone apologizes or repents, then we need to make a decision if we're going to forgive that person. Up until that point, we think, we can hold them accountable and continue to feel, feel and maybe even express some ill will towards them. We think that until they acknowledge their wrong, until they confess, the ball is in their court. It's not in my court. It's up to them to make the first move. That's not what the Bible teaches. When it comes to forgiving someone who hurt you in some way, the ball is always in your court. It is always your move. Coming back to that verse from Colossians, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Did Jesus wait until the Roman soldiers repented before he forgave them? Did he wait till the Jewish leaders repented till he forgave them? The ball was in his court, and he chose to forgive. And I'm so thankful that Jesus chose to forgive. If you have been offended, the ball is in your court. It is your choice to forgive. Another example. In the early 1900s, there was a missionary to China by the name of Alfred. And in this time period, when the communists took over, Alfred, serving as a missionary, was charged as an imperialist spy. He was forced to march hundreds of miles across China in the dead of the northern Asian winter. He was stripped and beaten with bamboo rods kept under the worst of conditions. And in those conditions, during that time, he gained access to a sword. A lot of his peers, a lot of people in that condition would have been overjoyed to lay their hands on a sword. But Alfred did not take that sword and start swinging. With great determination, he put it to use. He took a chopstick, a small piece of wood, and painstakingly used that sword to carve that chopstick into a crochet hook. And then he used that crochet hook to crochet woolen hats and gloves, which he gave to the communist soldiers. It was his choice. You see, the ball was in his court. Were those soldiers repenting? No, they were not repenting. Were they still cruel? Of course they were. But in the biography about this man, he said to himself, in the horror of that long march, nearly freezing and almost lifeless, I looked at my captors and I said, God loves these people. So I have no choice but to love them too. Can you imagine those guards receiving those gifts from that captive? That is the power of a forgiving heart. Alfred recognized that forgiving others does not depend on their repentance. He also recognized that forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Forgiving others, moving on, should be illustrated by action. It doesn't depend on feelings, our feelings. It doesn't depend on someone else's Repentance, and it should also be illustrated by our actions. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, But if any have caused grief, ye ought to forgive him and comfort him. You see, it's not just enough to say, well, yeah, I forgive. We need to go beyond that. We forgive, and then we seek the good of that person. We tend to think that when we say, I forgive you, We've done our duty. We can walk away. But there's so much more to that. That's just the beginning as we continue on. You see, forgiveness is not just an attitude. Forgiveness is an action. Forgiveness is an action that requires a conscious decision, and it determines our continuing behavior. 
If I forgive someone, when I forgive someone, from that point on, I will seek that person's good. You see, that's what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. Turn the other cheek. Walk the second mile. If someone curses you, bless them. Pray for them which persecute you. That's what Paul taught in Romans 12. Avenge not yourselves. Feed your enemy. Heap coals of fire on their head. It's the action that accompanies the attitude. And again, we see this in the example of Joseph and his relationship with his brothers. It was not just an attitude, but it was an action on his part. Remember what his brothers did to him? His brothers ripped off his coat. Joseph gave clothing to his brothers. His brothers sold him for money. Joseph gave them money. His brothers drove them as far away from themselves as what they could. Joseph said, come close to me. That is an illustration of a truly forgiving heart. Another comment I'll make here, forgiveness is not needed toward God. Sometimes I hear a, a, a phrase or an expression that I find a little bit troubling. I hear someone say that, you know, I needed to forgive God or that we need to forgive God. And they might say that in relation to some hardship that they endured in life. Maybe they lost a parent. Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they grew up without their parents, some accident or illness. And, well, I needed to forgive God for what happened. That, goes, that, that statement goes against what forgiveness is because forgiving someone is acknowledging that what they did is wrong, but I'm going to release them from the consequences of that. And God does not commit wrong. We do not need to forgive God. God cannot sin. You may need to surrender to God. You may need to give up your will in the face of God. I think surrender is a much better term there, a much better expression to use rather than forgiving God. Well, let's look finally at some of the rewards or the blessings of forgiving. And first of all, there's this idea of the forgiveness of God towards you, which is what Jesus taught here in the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive others, you are opening the door for God to forgive you. In verses 14 and 15, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. One of the blessings of forgiving others is simply being able to experience that forgiveness of God. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, again the parable we read, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto them, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Brothers and sisters, those words are to be taken seriously. If we do not forgive, God will not forgive us. The blessing of forgiveness is the blessing of being able to experience that forgiveness from God. Well, there's also the joy and liberty of a free spirit. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. That idea of reconciliation, which brings that liberty and joy of a free spirit, the joy of coming before God, knowing that there is nothing standing in the way between you and your brother. Someone has said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die because it, it burns within us. And when we forgive, that poison is removed from our body and we can experience the joy and the liberty. To forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner is you. To forgive is to bid farewell to the past and to seize the future with open arms. Some of you may recognize the name of Yosef Tzon. He was a Romanian, a well-known Romanian pastor who suffered at the hands of the communists in Romania, imprisoned, and we won't go into his experiences there, but he made the statement later after uh, 
after the communism fell, and he was ministering to other people who were struggling. He said, until you forgive totally, you will be in chains. In chains. Forgive, and the chains will be released. The joy and liberty. And the third blessing is simply living life as God intended us to live it. God does not intend you to live holding a grudge in your heart. God does not intend you to live wrapped in those chains. God does not intend you to live with that poison eating out your innards. God intends you to live in the freedom of forgiving other people. A couple quotes that that, uh, people have made. Someone has said, we are most like beasts when we kill each other. We are most like humans when we judge each other. We are most like Christ when we forgive each other. Someone else has said to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. And that is the way that God wants us to live. As we conclude this message... I suppose that most of you have thought of someone, sometime, and something that they have done. Perhaps it was recent. Perhaps it was long ago. Perhaps you see the person every day. Perhaps the person has been dead for years. Perhaps that person has repented. Perhaps he has not. But at this moment, the ball is in your court. What are you going to do? Will you forgive? Will you forgive totally? Will you forgive without reserve? There's a story that David Jeremiah tells in his book, Prayer, the Great Adventure. The story is about a man named Simon Weissenthal, who also was a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. He was a Jew. He was a prisoner. And he tells his story. Scott, or Simon, his name, had been assigned to clean the rubbish out of a hospital that the Germans had improvised for wounded soldiers carried in from the Eastern Front. So this was a hospital where the Germans were bringing their wounded people and this Jew was assigned to work there and to clean the rubbish out of this hospital. One day, a nurse walked over to this Jew, Simon, took his arm, ordered him to come with her and led him upstairs to row of beds filled with stinking wounded people. She took him to the bed of a young soldier, his head wrapped in yellow, pus-stained bandages, clearly dying. The soldier, whose name was Carl, reached out and grabbed Simon's hand, clamped it as if he feared, feared Simon would run away. He told him, I just have to speak to a Jew. I have to confess the terrible things I've done so that I can be forgiven Until I'm forgiven, I will not be able to die in peace. He went on to say what he had done. He said, I was fighting in a Russian village where we gathered together several hundred Jewish people. And my group was ordered to plant full cans of gasoline in a house. And then we marched 200 people into that house, cramming them in until they could barely move. And next, we threw grenades through the windows to set the house on fire. And we were ordered to shoot anybody who tried to escape from that house. On the second floor, this young soldier recalled, I saw a man with a small child in his arms. This man's clothing was already burning. And by his side stood a a woman, likely the mother of that child. With his free hand, the man covered the child's eyes and then jumped out the window into the street, followed by the child's mother. 
We did what we were told to do. We shot. I shall never forget it. It haunts me to this day. The young man paused and then he said, I know that what I have told you is terrible. I have longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. I know that what I am asking is almost too much, but without your forgiveness, without your answer, I cannot die in peace. The room was silent. God was watching. Here, there were two strangers caught in the crisis of forgiveness. A member of the so-called superior race begging forgiveness from the condemned race. Scott tells us what he did. He said, I stood up. I looked at that man lying in the bed. I made up my mind. And without a word, I turned and walked out of the room. Scott's decision haunted him the rest of his life. And in his testimony, he asked the question, what would you have done? This morning, the question is, what will you do? As you think about that person somewhere, sometime, will you choose to forgive? Jesus said, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord, teach us to pray, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Let's kneel in prayer. <clears throat> Father, this morning again, as we kneel before you, we just ask that you would search our lives. Father, we confess the struggles that we have in this life with the petty and meager offenses that we consider people to have committed and a struggle that we have to forgive them sometimes. Lord, we confess it before you. And like Corey, we pray, Lord, forgive us. And may we be filled with your spirit. And may your spirit grant us the power to forgive, even when our feelings do not want to forgive. And Lord, beyond that, we just thank you for the fact that forgiveness is such a wonderful thing, the forgiveness we have from you, the forgiveness we have for others, and even the wonder and the joy and the peace that comes when we forgive. Lord, may you continue to lead us in your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.